spring is in the air and spring training is here. A lot of you in South Florida are going to be driving on the highway back and forth, probably about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes if you're headed over to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium or even the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And if you are doing that, you may as well consider getting yourself into a pre-owned vehicle. And the place to buy one, if you're listening to this podcast, is happycarsflorida.com. Happy Car, which is located... 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale and is owned by my buddy Louie, who I have been buying cars for for 20 years. Those of you who listen to this podcast should know that last week, one of you went in and bought a car from Louie. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for mentioning me. His phone number is 954-800-2449. Again, the phone number is 954-800-2449. Whether you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it doesn't matter because you know why? When you buy a car from Louie, he finances the car in-house. You don't have to go anywhere. Give him a call right now, 954-800-2449. Check out the website, happycarsflorida.com. Guess what? If you don't see a car that's on the website and you want to drive something different, call Louie, tell him Craig sent you, he'll get the car for you. You'll be driving out of the lot the very same day. Happycarsflorida.com. 954-800-2449. Go check out Happy Car and drive away. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes. Uh, after a week off, so I guess we're back with you here in spring training. Very excited to be back. I'm your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by Craig Mish. And Craig, it's been a couple of weeks. What's been going on at Marlins Camp and with you uh, in those couple of weeks we've been off? Well, you know, it's it's really it's coming down to the wire here. There's a couple of weeks left till opening day, and I, and I know that the focus for a lot of people is is on the end of spring training and the beginning of the season and what exactly is going with Major League Baseball, and for that matter, with all the sports, with of course the coronavirus. But for the purposes of this podcast, it's not that we're going to ignore that at all, and I don't think that, that would be wise because it's a very serious deal here. But for the purposes of us, we're going to keep it to baseball. And at the very least, give you some insight as to still what is indeed going on uh, with the Miami Marlins. And certainly if anything changes in terms of baseball overall, whether it's spring training, fans in the stands, opening day, of all that, we'll definitely get into it and we'll go through with it. But until we know anything definitively, the only result as to what we know right now is that we as the media at this point, as those of you who have probably learned if you follow Major League Baseball, is that uh, I and somebody who has been in Major League clubhouses for uh, 20 years or more am not allowed in the clubhouse at this point to right. keep the safety uh, indeed of the players. And I certainly understand that we're all hopeful as reporters that we're able to uh, sustain these relationships with players and executives and continue those conversations. Um, I will say that while the Marlins in particular have been very careful and cognizant of everything going on, which would include fans and which would include the media, they have also uh, been extremely accommodating uh, on both sides. And I do want to start off with that and mention that is that in terms of uh, the players, especially prior before the games, when, um, when they have the ability to interact with fans and sign autographs, I still have seen a great deal of that going on with a lot of their staffers uh, being very close by handing them pens, mm. keeping it friendly, not as much pregame as I've seen, and probably for those same reasons, it's just, you know, getting closer to a lot of fans in the stands, I suppose that's it. But look, this is more of an MLB thing, I think, as opposed to a Marlins thing. Derek Jeter, the CEO of the team, 
um, with respect to the greatest players that have ever played in the history of the game, has also been one of the most fan-friendly autograph signers in the history mm -hmm. of the game of his stature. And I'm happy to see that that has continued. And that is not just me uh, blowing hot air or blowing smoke. Mm -hmm. I've seen that as, as a, a younger fan. I've seen that with younger fans. For those of you outside of Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, after every single Marlins game, Derek Jeter has a line of 20 or 30 people that are standing right outside the VIP exit, and the man stops and signs autographs for them virtually every single day. Incredible. So, um, you know, that is a big part of, of who he is and what he does. Um, listen, there's, there's going to be – there'll be another podcast where I have an opportunity to say that I don't and, – and by the way, you know, the, you know there, there will be some things that I don't like about, uh, you know, things that are going, and I'll mention those too. But I wanted to start off with that because that is very important to me. Uh, I was a young fan going to spring training with my father collecting books and books of little sheets of paper of autographs and getting autographs on baseball cards. I still have those to this day. It was a big part of my memory growing up in, in uh, South Florida, going to Pompano Park. Mm. People don't remember that the Rangers played in Pompano Park for many years. I went to uh, Fort Lauderdale to see the, both the Yankees and the Orioles, went the to Orioles. Miami Stadium, um, Bobby Maduro Stadium to see the Orioles there too. It's a big part of what spring training is, and in the spirit of that, I feel like the Marlins have done a really good job of keeping that interaction. As far as the media is concerned, look – in order to get an interview and in order to process an interview, and I know that it seems like people don't care. Oh, you're the media. You're going to get whatever you're going to get anyway. Does it really matter? Yeah. I mean, it does, you mm -hmm. know, like I don't want to, I don't want to have to ask somebody, can, can you go, can you go grab this guy and bring him outside? It's like, it's all, it's like an extra step, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, maybe I don't even have that much to ask the guy. Maybe I just want to say like, hello, how are you right. feeling? And you know that, that the nuance of it has definitely changed. But again, Overall, Jeremy, th th those are the only changes that I've seen thus far. I have a feeling we're in store for a lot more, but I wanted to at least give my perspective on it. Honestly, I, the, the autographs with the fans is more important to me than the media side. To yeah. be honestly, it really is for me because uh, of how strongly I feel. Is, during spring training, regular season is different. Right. But, but during spring training, I feel like, like, like honestly – uh, and a game like Wednesday against the, the, uh, the Yankees mm. where you knew three guys, you know, I mean, you knew Miguel Andujar, you knew Mike Talkman, you knew, um, you know, Mike Ford, like sure. you're, you're paying $70 for those tickets at Roger Dean that's, that's just crazy. That's crazy mm. talk paying for that. And to think that, that MLB is saying you can't get autographs of these guys, but you're allowed to pay $70 for those tickets. Right. And, and right. by the way, when they're done with the game, they're going to go to Starbucks and they're going to hand over, you know, $5 to somebody for a coffee. Exactly. They're going to be a foot away from them too. So some of it is a little ridiculous to me, but I completely understand keeping people safe and keeping things safe. The other part that uh, before we get into the baseball side that I do want to mention is that as somebody who uh, is a member of the media where everyone in general is in the press box, I don't like to be in the press box. I like to be as close as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. So uh, without getting in trouble, I try and steal the best mm -hmm. possible seat I can in every uh, spring training stadium, and I'll go sit as far as I possibly can to the front. And I got to tell you, for that hour that I sat and just looked to the left and looked to the right, you know what it was, Jeremy? Man, it was baseball. There was no talk yes. of coronavirus. It was just nice to be out there and the weather was good. And it's like you, for, you lose yourself in that moment and you kind of forget exactly what's going on. And then, of course, you go to your car, you open up your phone, you turn on the radio, and that's what everybody else is talking about. So right. I'm not going to sit here and tell people what to do with their lives, whether you're younger, whether you're older, whether you should be around crowds, whether you're not, and whether you're healthy, 
whether you're sick. I, I don't, you make your own decisions as far as that's concerned, but I got to tell you, it felt really good for an hour yesterday, just sitting out there, just watching baseball, not having to think about everything else that's going on. And that's right. where we'll close this conversation on, on that. You know, the hope is that sports can continue to be used in the way that it always has as sort of a distraction from, from everyday life and the, the kind of weight of that. So using, using baseball, spring training baseball, we were talking before we started recording about how much we just love being around spring training. So glad to hear the Marlins are doing their due diligence uh, with us in the media and with the fans, but keeping things active as always. Uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this, we are two weeks away from opening day when you're listening to this podcast, uh, if all goes according to plan. And there's a lot of decisions yet to be made about the Marlins roster. And so what we're going to do in this podcast is sort of go around the diamond and talk about some of those decisions that are to be made. Um, we'll start with the offensive side of the ball, or I guess the defensive alignment, just not pitching. So we can start at the catcher position. Uh, what, what at the catcher position do you anticipate the Marlins doing uh, this season in 2020? Right. Well, and, and by the way, everything that I'm going to deliver for you here on this podcast is very fresh, recent, and, um, and, and some of it in public conversations, but a lot of it in private conversations. Mm. And I'll also differentiate what is fact in my opinion. And I, and I like to do that because I want everybody to understand uh, the difference between what I'm telling you is my opinion and what I've heard uh, directly from the organization. So I don't want to mix those two together. Uh, it's an open and shut case. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, if he is healthy, and it is trending toward very similar to last season where if he can get back on the field early next week, he was already in bullpen sessions on Wednesday on the backfields. If he can get back into a game or two before the end of the spring, he's going to be the Marlins opening day catcher. And I don't think they're going to have to worry about the injured list there. Mm. They'll exercise caution and we certainly will see, but he will be the starting catcher of the Miami Marlins. Uh, Chad Wallach still remains on the roster. He's had a good spring. Uh, you know, he's, you know, possibly in the mix for, uh, for a starting job, I would think, in Wichita. But as everybody knows, they didn't bring Francisco Cervelli to, to, the, to the Marlins' bigger league roster to send him to the minors. Right. So, so Alfaro is the starter and Cervelli is the backup and Chad Wallach remains on the roster. That's where we stand with the catcher. All right. So moving over to first base, um, where we've seen multiple different players play first base. We even saw Matt Kemp get a little action over there. Who, who's going to be carried as a first baseman? Yeah, so Jesus Aguilar will start for the Marlins, and he'll start at first base opening day. I don't think this is going to be a situation where, provided the season does start on time on the 26th, as I speculated, if, if Aguilar didn't do anything and didn't show anything in the spring, that potentially what they could do is get out from under that contract, let him go, put Cooper at first base and be done with it. That is not the case. They mm. are happy with what they've seen from Aguilar, especially recently especially over the past week. It seems like he's starting to drive the ball with more force. There have been some extra base hits in there as well. Yep. Uh, Aguilar is not going to play first base every day for the Marlins. So if they play six games in a week, my guess is he will play four of those. I could see him as somewhere between a 100 to 120 game player hmm. at first base. And uh, in his backup at first base, when he is not in there, would primarily be Garrett Cooper playing first right. base. So that is the way uh, first base at least shakes out for now. We've seen Miguel Rojas play first. I believe we've seen John Birdie play first as well. Those guys are obviously options in emergency situations. But the primary guy is Aguilar. I would expect him to play a lot, but not every day. And Garrett Cooper will get some shares of opportunities there at first base as well. And we could talk about Cooper a little bit later as well, maybe in the outfield. But moving over to second base, Isan Diaz has struggled ever so slightly, uh, was mic'd up in yesterday's game, 
against the Yankees, which was just a joy. Uh, what's it looking like over at second base with the Marlins? Yeah, and this is where me not being at every single game in the spring is difficult because this is where I have to go off and trust the evaluators on the Marlins as opposed to some of my own eyes. Now, I'm probably at, at you know, spring training games 95% more than everybody else that, mm. that is in either the media or, or covering it. Of course, they're, you know, the, the guys who cover the team every day are there more than me, but you can count them on two fingers at this point. Right. It's, it's, re it's really what it is. So uh, it, it is unfair for me to just say that, that Diaz, who's batted basically a buck, like bat batting like 100 for the spring, right. has looked awful. I can't say that. The numbers certainly indicate that. But I would tell you that if you go to my Twitter, you would see based on the result that I asked Don Mattingly directly uh, how they felt about his at-bats. Now, again, Donnie is never going to throw anyone under the bus. That's not what he does with his players. Right. But they are happy with the at-bats. Spoke to somebody else who said that they're happy with the at-bats. Isan Diaz is going to be the starting second baseman for the Marlins. I wouldn't say he has a five-month leash on that position. But I would say that opening day, uh, Isan Diaz is your starting second baseman unequivocally and um, – you know, and, and, and that's the end of the story. You'll see him on the 26th against Philly starting and batting, I would say. I mean, they could put him at the top, but I would say probably more or less the bottom of the lineup would seem fair, too. As it seems like it should be, the way that, that Diaz was able to sort of tear through AAA last year, I think those types of guys that, that can hit at that level really should get an opportunity to sort of make their impact. And as they adjust to major league pitching, you know, he'll have an opportunity to learn little by little, maybe over adjust one way, over adjust another way, and ultimately find his sweet spot. Moving over to third base, what do you expect the Marlins to do at the third base position going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, third base is Brian Anderson's, unless they get into a situation similar to last year where they move him to the outfield, and that has got to be in play. Mm -hmm. But another open and shut case, Brian Anderson building on the last two seasons uh, will play third. Uh, do I think that Anderson signs a long-term extension with the club? Mm, I think there's a chance of that happening, but it mm. would have to be to his liking and also uh, to his agent, Jeff Berry's liking as well. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think it's on the table right now, but it's not also something that I would completely rule out. It's just a story that we're going to have to follow and see if it indeed comes up. I know Miami would like to potentially extend someone, but when I asked that question, it was thrown back at me, which that happens every once in a while. Huh. Craig, who would you extend? Huh. And, then, and then you got to think about it for a minute and think, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. Like, is there really somebody right now that you would just throw long-term money at? Hmm. Um, you know, and, and Anderson would seem to be the top category guy for that. But once he gets through this year, if I'm Anderson, I don't know that I would want to do a long-term deal. You're hmm. now approaching ARP at free agency. So uh, anyway, long story short, Anderson <laughs> is a third baseman. Right. So as you look at Anderson as in an extension of the contract, that's in large part because he's your everyday third baseman and probably batting right there in the middle of the order. Uh, looking over now at his left side of the infield, Miguel Rojas at shortstop. Is that what it's looking like again this season? Yeah, Miguel Rojas is the starting shortstop of the Marlins. And I would say, although they, will know, they won't name him, maybe they won't name him the captain. He's kind of like the unofficial captain. Right. Uh, of the Marlins I really I, somebody tweeted out the other day that that he wanted to help the media with interviews I mean the guy is just a gem he's just an, an, he's an absolute gem and 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 I don't know what will happen with him long term because Jazz Chisholm is on the way and and they'll have to sort that stuff out those things always take care of themselves but uh, Miggy is the starting shortstop of the Marlins as it should be and like you said uh, he's essentially the captain out there it's it's really special to see the stuff that he does with everybody on that team so now we get to the interesting part 
and it's the outfield. And that's where a lot of the big decisions need to be made. We'll start in left field. So who do we expect to be out in left field for the Miami Marlins? Okay, so Corey Dickerson is the starter, as everybody knows. And, uh, and ironically enough, dating back to things that I said um, mm-hmm. about Corey Dickerson prior to them signing him, while the Marlins do feel like he is a, uh, he is, he is a very good player, and they feel like he is going to add a lot to the lineup. They're definitely, uh, I don't want to use the word concerned, but they definitely want to keep him on the field as much as possible. And so here we are again. I don't think Corey Dickerson is going to play every game that the Marlins play during the week. I think they are going to spell him and give him days off. And very specifically, I think it's going to be against tough left-handed pitching. Right. So I, I would not project dickerson to play 150 games with the marlins this season and i think it's probably along the lines of 135 or 140 and i think he gets one game a week off and on days that he does not play i think garrett cooper here we are again Mm. is an option uh potentially to play left field and and maybe even with uh, some other outfielders that we will get to as well make no mistake about it uh, Dickerson will probably be in the opening day lineup. My guess is you're going to see him play a lot at the beginning of the season right. because they're going to want to show off that new toy. But also, uh, I was told that uh, while he is an everyday player, there's no question they want to keep him on the field as much as possible. He's had some injury history in the past. Right. And so the notion of Dickerson playing 150, 160 games does not appear to be the case. Uh, which which is what when they were chasing him down in free agency, I was told too. So, um, you know, we'll see how that all plays out, but that's at least what I'm going to continue to go with at this point. Expect Dickerson to play, I would say, uh, maximum 140, 145 games this season, which is still a lot. Right, and it does make a lot of sense to see Dickerson as that type of player where he's in the lineup nearly every day, but to give him the occasional day off against the lefty also as a little bit of maintenance and retooling is not a bad idea for a guy who, again, like we mentioned with B.A. just before, in the middle of your order, Corey Dickerson. Uh, now the position that actually got you to tweet about some percentage meters for the first yeah, time. Yeah, we, we, we took a shot We had that. some percentages. Uh, it's center field, Jonathan B.R. You mentioned Monte Harrison. Who's going to be out there for the Marlins opening day and then going forward in center field? It looks like it looks like V.R. is the opening day center fielder, and it certainly looks like he's going to be in the lineup every single day. Um, Monte Harrison has made a tremendous impression on the club this spring. He and Lewis Brinson have made tremendous impressions, but Monte Harrison in particular has made a tremendous impression with his speed, with his defense, with his offense, with his hustle, and and his chances have basically essentially gone from what I thought was zero to, as I tweeted out, about 25%. So it's on the very low end. He's got two weeks left, two solid weeks to tear the cover off the ball, steal 10 more bases. And if things get super crazy with Monte and he looks like a bona fide all-star in the last two weeks, although the Marlins don't go by results, they go by the process in the spring. So you can't always look at the results there. The possibility does exist that they could uh, have him make the roster start mm. center field opening day, move VR back to second movie. on DS in the minor. It's an unlikely scenario to play out, but I wanted to at least present the option because uh, when the club reassigned some of their players and moved guys to the minor leagues, they did not with Monte Harrison. So uh, do I think he's with Miami opening day? No, I think he's probably ends up in Wichita, but he is the first one offensively up. um, I think no question about it. 
and in short order, he's playing for the team one way or the other. So that's the way I see center field. And sort of to touch back on, on what you mentioned there, so if that were the case and Harrison were to make the team, that would essentially mean more likely than not Isan Diaz starting the year in AAA, meaning that you would move it's, VR it, theoretically right, to the right. middle. Well, I mean, you could, you could honestly move VR to third and put Anderson back in right field if you felt right. that way about that too. But again, mm-hmm. we're two weeks away with VR only playing center field. Right, and Anderson right. almost essentially only playing third. Right, and, and so could VR pick up a glove with two days to go and play second base? Yeah, he probably could. I, I, don't, right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's a problem. Uh, it just doesn't seem realistic at this point to devote all of this time to VR playing center field and then all of a sudden change things up the night before the season. Uh, you know, you never know. Uh, guys make trades, uh, you know, a couple of years. I think it was um, last year right before the season. Toronto goes through the whole spring training with Kevin Pillar. They trade, right. they trade him away. Um, you know, like on the eve of the season, Craig Kimbrell a couple of years ago, a few years ago was traded on the eve of the season almost. Uh, you know, teams, they, they get to the end and they think, oh, you know, this is not enough or this is what we should do. I, I'm not going to rule anything out. It's just I don't think that that's the most likely scenario at this point. So we have Dickerson primarily in left. We have VR primarily in center. Right. And Monte Harrison would more likely than not not make the roster to then sit. He would not he would not do that. Not he would happen. go play center field in AAA if he were not the center fielder that's opening correct. day. That's correct. Yes. And so moving over to right field now, which is the final position for us to take. This has been uh, quite the competition out there as well. What's it looking like in right field for the Marlins? Yeah, it, it looks like Lewis Brinson is the starting opening day right fielder uh, wow. of, of the Marlins at this point. Um, you know, he he has really. Uh, earned, uh, they at least to this point, because of his approach, he has really earned another chance. And look, there's if you're cynical about it and you're skeptical about it, I I am too. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you guys. But all I can tell you is that uh, they feel that they have a game plan with him, with uh, James Rousen and Eric Duncan, and that he's been executing that game plan uh, in the spring. The results have been there as well. Of course, we've seen this the last few years, and then it gets to the regular season, and it doesn't happen. So right. I think that you should be skeptical, and I think that that's fair. I mean, we're going on the third year of trying this. Um, my retort to, to all of these things with Brinson is, are you sure that when this guy, if this guy, goes through a slump, that we're not going to go like right back to the way that it was before. Because to me, Brinson right. went through these extended slumps where the frustration was there and he was the, the bat, he was throwing, you know, he was not throwing the bat, but he was upset. You could just yeah. visually see that. And to me, that's going to be the defining moment with Lewis Brinson. If he could break out of those funks, because every team goes through it. Uh, to me, he still is, you know, the plate discipline in terms of taking pitches. I still have not seen that. There's been still a lot of swinging, but you know, I am not there every day. I am not there on the backfield. These are not Major League Baseball games. They like the approach. He has a game plan every single time he goes to the plate. I believe that the second that he stops executing what they want him to do, they will ship him to AAA. Without right. a doubt, there will be no waiting. As soon mm-hmm. as he is not listening to them, if he is not listening to them, and maybe that's something that's happened in the past. I'm not sure. But uh, they're going to ask him to do something, and if he does it, then he's going to get another opportunity. And if he doesn't, he's got an option and he will go right back to, uh, he will go to Wichita. He's got an option. And that will be the end of this final experiment with Lewis Brinson. And by the way, with Lewis Brinson in right field, uh, in my mind, he's also, you know, not an everyday player at this point, right. because you still do have uh, Matt Joyce there, who I think is going to play a couple of times a week, whether it's in left field for Dickerson or right field, uh, you know, for Brinson. And then of course you have Garrett Cooper, 
who I know that we've left off in this conversation thus far, but I am told do not leave Garrett Cooper out of this conversation Mm. because Cooper is going to see his fair share of opportunities in right. He's going to see his fair share of opportunities at first, and he could play right field twice a week. He could play first base once a week, and he Mm. could even play left field once a week. Do I think at this stage the plan for them is to play him every single day? No. Do I agree with that decision? No. I (laughs) think he should be given an opportunity to play every single day, and I've made that clear. I think that he, if you're giving Lewis Brinson another opportunity right. potentially to play every day and you're not going to give Garrett Cooper because he got hit in the wrist a few times um, and, and Cooper has shown up very well in the spring again, I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. But, you know, again, this is what baseball is about. It's about having conversations and working it through. Uh, but Cooper, to me, is probably in line for, you know, 100 games played based on what we're talking about here. And, and Cooper has made him himself known that he wants to try and play as many games as he can 150 games 160 games so that's not going to happen at least under the present way that the marlins are run uh the backups for the marlins man the the backups for the marlins are john birdie right and if if the if the season began today the final spot would it looks like go to magniris sierra Interesting. And, and the reason why Magnera Sierra is the final spot is because he's a late game defensive replacement who can run. And that, I believe, is all they view Magnera Sierra at this point. Right. And they view Harold Ramirez as an everyday player who needs to play every day. And so mm-hmm. they're going to, I believe, they're going to send him to Wichita. And, 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 and barring an injury, I think Harold Ramirez is going to play every single day in Wichita in that outfield with Jesus Sanchez and Monte Harrison. And that's the mm. way that the uh, Wichita outfield potentially could shake out. Um, I think it's unfortunate for Harold because he's done very well, but they don't want him as a fourth outfielder. They, they, think, he can be a, they think he still can be a starting outfielder in the big leagues, but mm. he has an option. Um, this could change. Harold could make it. They could uh, get rid of Sierra, who's who has no options left. That's also on the table. But I think that's kind of how it shakes out at this point. Um, the one name that I did not mention, and and I believe there oh, look, there's still two weeks ago, two weeks ago, so something could change, Jeremy. But I do not believe Matt Kemp is going to make the Marlins based on wow. um, based on the way that they feel uh, he has looked so far. Um, to say that he is done is unfair because there are other teams in the big leagues who at this point, honestly have less talent than the Marlins, but he has not looked great. And, and I just, and and I don't know. I mean, it, it, time could be up for him. Mm. It's my understanding that they do not want to go down the road again. Like they did last year with Curtis Granderson, who was phenomenal in the clubhouse, but the on-field performance was a pretty significant disappointment. Right. Um, I, I don't think that Kemp is, is going to earn a spot on the 26-man on the roster at this point. I will say this. If he does, remember, there are other things in play. <laughs> when, they, right. when, they, when they brought him in, I don't know what they discussed. Um, you know, Derek Jeter is the CEO of the team, and he's you know, been very good about deferring uh, you know, a lot of these decisions to his baseball people. And this is where my opinion comes in, not fact. So keep that in mind. Right. It would be my speculation, only speculation, that, hey, look, I mean, if Derek Jeter wants Matt Kemp on the team, I mean, Derek Jeter's going to tell his guys, you got to put Matt Kemp on the team, you know? Right. Uh, but at least from my understanding, at this point, uh, they, did, they have not seen enough 
uh, from Kemp to think that he is viable. Uh, he's, he's one of the top 26 guys on their roster right now. We'll just have to see how the next couple of weeks plays out. So that certainly is a little bit of a change from where we were two weeks ago. Right, and that means adding Matt Joyce over Matt Kemp. That's another left-handed bat to be out there in the outfield that can play either corner. Um, and obviously, you know, the big wild card in all of that ended up being Lewis Brinson's performance during the spring and how they feel about his approach. And if you are choosing to look at the bright side and the positive side of these things with Lewis Brinson, James Rousen is here for the first time. So maybe that is the thing that could help Lewis Brinson put it all together. And if so, Rousen deserves every award that goes to uh, assistant coaches um, this, this and hitting true. coaches in this league. So we'll see yeah. if he's able to put it together. Yeah, I'm extremely skeptical, and, and I'm not a believer. But again, mm-hmm. as somebody that likes to keep it real here, I'm not there every single day mm-hmm. and seeing it like we are in a Major League Baseball game where it is just painfully obvious to the eye every single day. So right. I, have to, I have to defer to the people who are making the decisions and it looks like their decision at this point is to give Lewis Brinson another shot. And so here, and so here we are. And so we move from uh, the offense, which clearly had a, a lot of interesting decisions there, uh, to the pitching. And so if you want to just roll through some of the pitching here, the starting pitching is obviously sort of obvious. You can, you can roll through it if you'd like, and then we can get to the relievers because that's actually some more of the, uh, the interest as to who makes that 26-man roster. So, Craig, what's it looking like with the Marlins pitching staff? I think everybody knows the pitchers at this point. It would be shocking to me if Sandy Alcantara wasn't the opening day starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think he earned that based off last year, and, and he's been very good in the spring uh, recently. Um, uh, beyond that, Caleb Smith will be the number two starter. Pablo Lopez will be the number three starter. Uh, this is the first time in 2020 that it looks like I'm going to be wrong. So here you go. <laughs> here you go. Listen, I, I, I'm very happy to tell you guys when I'm wrong about something, but it looks like Jose Arena is going to come back. Mm-hmm. Now we still got two weeks for the trade here now. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> I could still be right here for the next two weeks. Holding out for it. Jose Arena has changed a lot of the ways that he is throwing. Uh, he was just an inside-outside type guy. Very mm-hmm. predictable. They've changed the positioning. Uh, I, I believe of his glove. I think that there's a lot of different things that have gone on technically with him. Right. And, uh, and this is, you know, Mel Stoudemire working with him as well. And so, uh, you know, there, there are some, you know, pitching mechanics and some very heavy things that are involved with this that we'll, you know, maybe get into next week that I could be a lot more specific with it. And I know that I don't want to take everybody's time up on Jose Arena's uh, pitching mechanics, but um <laughs> You know, it, it's just things that he's doing with his glove, his slider, uh, the way he's moving his legs, a lot of technical things that I'm going to have to get a little bit more into detail with that, that is, is worthy of more than a one-minute conversation. Bottom line, Jose Arrena yeah. looks like the fourth starter, uh, maybe the third. And then, and then the fifth starter is going to come down to Yamamoto or Eliezer, or Eliezer Hernandez, and it looks like Yamamoto probably ends up, ends up being the guy as a fifth starter. And you know what? You know my feelings on Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think that he's a very good big league pitcher, but uh, there aren't a lot of teams that have five very good big league pitchers. Right. So there's nothing to really discuss there. Uh, Duggar has been extremely impressive this spring. Yes. I'd love to see him get another chance, another opportunity. But you know what? Maybe with all of these issues in the bullpen, maybe that's where Duggar gets his opportunity. Eliezer mm. Hernandez will pitch. Uh, I'm going to guess would pitch in Wichita to start the year and could you know, honestly start opening day for them in Wichita right. if they chose, along with Nick Neidert 
and uh, and eventually Sixto Sanchez, eventually Edward Cabrera. They got a lot of uh, deep young pitching, and and I think personally, uh, Duggar has has come in with a with a really big purpose to try and make the club. And and you, know, you can make the case that he he could be one of the last decisions made to add to the team if they chose to right. go that route. And where is it looking in the in the bullpen? Because obviously, as you just mentioned, Duggar could end up in the bullpen, and and the starting pitching was, you know relatively predictable obviously Urania had to stick around Yamamoto Hernandez but where are we looking a lot of non-roster invitees in that bullpen what how are things looking there yeah so Don Mattingly when you when you ask him something publicly I've now after five years of doing this when <laughs> when you when you're on to something with him and he doesn't answer you his answer is those are some of the things that we talk about there it is. That's what he says. There it is. <laughs> That's his tell. So, Donnie, <laughs> if you're ever listening to this podcast, if you ever answer me with, you know, those are some of the things that we talk about, that's usually when you're on the right track as far as something is concerned. That's what I did when I asked him oh, about, I uh, about Robert Duggar. Now I gave away my, te- my poker uh, hand with, uh, with Donnie. Um, <laughs> Duggar has a shot. I mean, look, they may put him back in, in uh, Wichita and start. But I, I think that he's earned an opportunity to be a long. He's been man. tremendous. Yeah, I, he's been he's been very very impressive. Looks much better, by the way, than he did last year too. Uh, so this is some dart throwing here, Jeremy, with the bullpen mm-hmm. as we close it out with two weeks to go. Because let's not cry for the Marlins. Uh, Houston has lost Verlander. The Yankees have lost Judge. They have lost Stanton. They have lost Severino. Scherzer's had a little bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Blake Snell has had a little bit of an issue. Michael Conf- I mean, every team has Everybody. had issues, okay? So don't, cr- don't shed any tears <laughs> for the Marlins' bullpen here. But that is, that is kind of the way that it's gone a little bit. Jeff Brigham, who was very good in the role uh, toward the end of last year, and I was told may have uh, somewhat of a mid-level prominent uh, role in the bullpen this season, hasn't thrown. He's had a biceps issue. He's going to be on the injured list to start the season and maybe even on the longer-term injured list mm-hmm. at this point. So uh, Brigham is out of the mix. Ryan Sanek has got to get back on a field soon in order to be part of it, but it does look like his spring is delayed. That could put him on the injured list as well to start, and hopefully his back is okay. They still view Stanek potentially as a, as a future closer, so uh, let's, let's not eliminate him whenever we're talking about him in the mix. Right. Uh, so uh, building it from the ninth back, it looks like Kinsler is, is going to be the closer, at least to start the season. Uh, the eighth inning guy at this point, the one who is, has shown the most, uh, at least from what I'm told on, on both his bullpens and uh, in games, is Brad Boxberger. Mm. So uh, non-roster invitee, he's going to make the club. They're going to need to move somebody off the 40-man, or they'll have to put guys, you know, mixed guys in and out from the injured list. Right. Boxberger's going to make the team. He's going to be in very high-leverage situations, and he has closing experience in the past. This is surprising. I did not think that that would happen. But when you come in and your velo is up by three miles an hour and you're getting a lot of swing and miss, you become part of that conversation. Right. Uh, Yimi Garcia has been virtually untouchable. I don't think that they're willing to put him in that spot yet. I don't know that that they're going to come out firing with Yimi Garcia in the eighth or ninth. But Garcia has to be a consideration, uh, you know, also at that point. And then, Jeremy, after that, your your guess is kind of as good (laughs) as mine. Sterling Sharp has to be on the roster because he's a Rule 5 guy, and he's been somewhat impressive from what I understand. Adam Conley is, I, I suppose, will be – he's looked okay in the spring. Right. So I suppose that he's he'll, at his be, moments. he'll be given another opportunity to be on the big league club. I, I would guess that he will make the 26-man roster. You know, Drew Steckenrider has not looked good thus far. He's not thrown as hard as he uh, mm. normally does, and he's put a lot of guys on base. So there are some questions about him. 
Stephen Tarpley had a good performance against the Yankees, and you know they didn't really the Yankees didn't really bring anybody to spring training. And again, right. process results. Stephen Tarpley in a game uh, over the weekend came in through two pitches, and the pitching coach Mel Stoudemire went out to talk to him. I mean, that's in the spring training. So I think they're. I'm not sure about Tarpley either. Uh, mm. You know, at this point, I know some people have asked about Alex Vesia. I think even with as good as he is, I mean, are you going to move this guy with su- such little minor league experience in the big leagues right out of the shoot? Maybe they, they choose to shock us and do that. It could happen, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know. I don't know that I, I see that happening. And so Aaron Northcraft is a non-roster invitee who's been also very good. That would create another 40-man movie. He's more of a Brad Ziegler type. He'll come in with two guys on base and try to get a ground ball and out of the inning, and you need some of those kind of guys throws from the side if anybody hasn't seen Aaron Northcraft. Uh, right. That's kind of who he is as well. Um, have I forgotten anybody? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm trying have to. Have I forgotten right anybody? I literally. Have uh, Ryan Cook. Ryan Cook. Uh, I saw him throwing the other day, uh, yesterday on the backfield. Don Mattingly was actually in the box. That's got to be a scary thought. That Don Mattingly hmm. was in the box and Cook was Cook was just throwing heaters at him, and and Donnie was actually doing his little hand thing that he used to do when he was at the plate. Oh, that's Mattingly. amazing. It was I kind of funny. That. That, that's intimidating, right? Uh, right. Look, Cook hasn't been in a spring <laughs> game. I can't, I can't see him making the team. But, you know, look, stranger things. I didn't think Boxberger would make the team either, so stranger things have happened there. And so the question is, you know, does Duggar make it because of his performance? Does the second rider need some more time? Uh, yeah, know, there's – Maybe I, I, that's something that they could this, – this, the bullpen is, is not going to be pretty. Right. I'm sort They're of just looking be, through these names here. The only ones we haven't mentioned, Pat Venditti. No, I don't think yeah. Venditti's enough. I think Venditti's a triple A. And then there's Smith. But other than that, it – Boy, I know, haven't even heard his name at all. Yeah, he's hardly been out there. I think he's been out there for like four innings total. Um, way, we spent way too long discussion on the bullpen. Yeah. And so I'm sorry for that. You know what? These are the things that people come to swings. You tuned out. If, you've st- if you're <laughs> still listening to us at this point, like, we appreciate wow, you. Wow, you're a big, you're a, you're a huge fan. Yeah. Well, and well look, I'm trying to break it all. I'm trying to give you guys as much insight as possible on it. Right. On well, it, no, this is everything. a good thing. And now, you know, I think Marlins fans for these final two weeks, you're in a position, Marlins fans, if you are still listening to us, uh, to really be able to have the proper expectations going down the stretch here and know, you know, if things do change for what that ultimate opening day roster looks like, that means that some things happen in the yeah. final couple of weeks here. And, and, and that happens obviously, but it also, it's good to be able to sort of take shape of, of what you can anticipate going into 2020. Yeah. I, I would, I would say that as of right now, I would guess 22, 23 players at least have already been predetermined to be on the 26 man roster. Mm-hmm. It is literally going to come down to one or two spots with them figuring this out. Uh, the Sierra Ramirez sort of a competition debate is one. Can, is Harrison all of a sudden going to force his hand mm-hmm. onto the roster? What happens with the final bullpen pieces? Is there a player that's let go by another team? Right. That that the Marlins view as a as a better bullpen option. I, I mean, I think going into the season the bullpen is going to be uh, shaky. I mean, that, that, right. that's, the, that's the one part of this. That, and by the way, give a lot of credit to Mike Hill for bringing in Northcraft and bringing in Boxberger. Right, two guys that I mean, might would have, the team. I mean, I would have never thought that these guys would – I mean, we could see scenarios where Northcraft comes in the sixth and Boxberger the seventh. I mean, they sound like made-up names. You know, like, I, like based off – right? 
based off going into the season, if you would have told me Aaron Northcraft and Brad Boxberger were going to be making the Marlins bullpen, I would not have believed exactly. you for a moment. So, so look, I mean, Mike has been done a really good job with that. He's fortified uh, virtually everything uh, on, mm. on the big league team. And so, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's still competition going on, but let's not be silly in thinking that like seven guys don't know if they're going to be on the roster or not. I think the, 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 the picture that I've painted on the 26-man roster uh, is the most likely scenario uh, that will play out at this point. There, there's exceptions to every rule. I've already said that I was wrong about Urania. I thought hmm. that he would be traded. I did not think that he would go into the big league season with the club. And I, they are very happy with his adjustments. And so I'll be wrong. And I'll be wrong on another podcast, too. And I'll be hmm. the first one to, to tell you that I'm wrong. The only I thing might be I, the first one to tell you that Craig's wrong. The only thing that I would say in closing, and I want to make this perfectly clear, and I hope that anybody in the Marlins organization is listening to this, is that if they're going to make a decision and the season is going to start on time on the 26th, I would, I would ask from a conceptual point of view to not go down the road like you did last year with Dan Straley and DFAing the guy mm. like 24, 48 hours before the season. That was not the right thing to do. Um, you know, you, you can't put somebody in DFA limbo on opening day. And I understand you want to make sure you have the depth last year. They didn't know Caleb Smith was going to be healthy. And that was right. Okay. It's not the right way. Um, to handle things with a player, in my opinion. And I want to make sure that whoever is listening, if you're going to do it, you know, do it next week, do it a few days before. There are really no health issues with the starting rotation this year, mm. uh, with, the, with the infielders, with the outfielders. To this point, there haven't been any issues or any injuries. The worst feeling in the world that I've, from a major league player, is to be sitting home on opening day and you can't do anything. You have, right. you're, you're sitting there on the DFA wire and, um, and I and I just and I know from that experience last year of what Straley went through that I just I'm hoping that for all players, not just not just anybody on the Marlins, but for all players to not have to be in DFA limbo, sitting home watching all of these games happen on opening day and knowing that you have to wait like seven or eight more days to find out if you cleared or where you're headed. Um, just wanted to mention that. Right. Well, and it'll be interesting to see the way it all plays out with the bullpen, with those starters, Urania, everyone else and. You know, obviously looking at that outfield and, and, and asking some questions, and it'll be a real, uh, a real different look at, uh, in the opening day outfield than maybe what was anticipated. So before we're done, we still have more for this podcast. Oh, my we gosh. Do have, uh, we do have an interview with – We earned our money today. Yeah, look at that. 1997 World Series champion manager Jim Leland. Uh, before we get into that interview, is there anything else you'd like to add or preface the interview with, Craig? Uh, you no, know, I, I saw Jimmy the other day. He's always very cordial and nice, always willing to do interviews. Uh, we, I kept it short and sweet with him. I just wanted to, you know, just kind of take us back in time a little bit with the 97 mm -hmm. season. Um, and then we, we got into uh, Derek Jeter a little bit. Of course, he was on the other side of Jeter for many, many years as a manager uh, with the Marlins, with the Rockies as an executive. Of course, uh, Jimmy was a great manager with the Pirates as well. So, uh, just a quick chat with him just about the 97 season. I know a lot of you who are listening to this podcast probably weren't even aware of the Marlins in 1997 <laughs> or maybe not even alive when the Marlins were there in 1997. But he's, uh, he's really, to me, a potential Hall of Fame type manager right. if there ever was one. And so um, I caught up with him at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches when the Tigers were in town. And so uh, 
I spoke with him for a few minutes about everything that happened with his history in the Marlins. And as you know, I was paying attention greatly as a two-year-old watching. <laughs> there you go, Jeremy. Marlins. There you go. Paying attention to every game. Uh, let me just wrap this up before we get to this interview real quick. I just want to thank all of you guys. There's been lots of really positive support of our podcast over the last couple of weeks that I've noticed on social media. You guys have been sharing our articles from swingsandmissions.com, which I know Lewis and Ian have worked hard on. Uh, yeah, we, we should more, mention them too. A yeah, lot they, of, you know, you should go, you guys should go to the website and we don't, I don't do a good enough job promoting the website, but swingsandmissions.com. We do stories, uh, you know, every once in a while um, we have another podcast uh, swings and misses in Espanol as well. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage those of you who are all in on the Marlins. We're, we're trying to give you as much content as we possibly can. And please not just like, and subscribe and rate, because that's like the generic thing that everybody <laughs> says that does a podcast. Right. Like, tell us what you want to hear. Like, like yeah. give me feedback. Tell me when I'm wrong, when I'm right, when Jeremy's wrong or he's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of the articles that our, that our guys are writing other things you'd like to see uh, on the website, like, right. Let us know, like give us, give us feedback. Cause Sometimes it's lonely. Yeah, no, for real. It's lonely out there in the social media world, and it's just Craig and I talking back and forth to each other half the time. So let us know what you think about all of it, and we really appreciate all of your support. I know I've gotten a lot from you guys in the last week or so, and I, I've appreciated it. So enjoy this interview with Jim Leland. Enjoy our almost hour-long podcast, I guess, oh and we will talk to you guys next week. Before we get to our interview, guys, baseball season is on its way which means you guys are about to be spending a lot more time outdoors. And it can get hot. And that means it can get uncomfortable, especially below the belt. You'll know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hair. That's why Manscaped has redesigned and perfected the electric trimmer with their new lawnmower 3.0. Look, I know it can be sort of uncomfortable to bring up the discussion around men's grooming, but that's why I'm bringing this chat right to you. Forget the awkward in-person conversations trying to find the right trimmer or razor. Just go to manscaped.com and use our code SWINGS to get 20% off and free shipping. I'm telling you this from experience. They sent me the product. I used it, and I'll never be going back. Just some of the great new features include a ceramic blade to avoid cuts and scrapes and nicks, a 90-minute battery, an LED light for better sight line, and a USB charging stand. I mean, it's really simple. Whether you're dating, married, single, anywhere in between, guys, we want to be clean. So make manscaping accidents a thing of the past. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're actually one of the very first people to hear about this legitimately life-changing product. I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Like I said, I've tried it, and I'm not going back. So when you do go to the site, feel free to tweet me at Jeremy Taché and let me know what you think. I'm serious. Trim all that junk right off yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWINGS at manscaped.com. You'll be thanking yourself. So again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code SWINGS. Jimmy, when you think back about uh, that 1997 team that you managed and ended up winning a World Series with, what are some of the things that come to mind? I still see you at the ballpark, whether it was being around the Cardinals when Tony was there or now as an executive with the Tigers? Well, it's great. It's great to stay in the game, be around the game. Hopefully you still got something to contribute. You know, I'm not in uniform anymore, but I go to every spring training game of the Tigers. I go watch them some during the season. I go to our AAA, AA club. So it's baseball. I love it and feel like I still have something to uh, contribute. When I feel like I don't, then I'm going to get out. If you could take me back in time to as the Marlins franchise was 
you know, sort of getting going. You come in and uh, and take over a team. And then 1996, things start to, to come together. But when did you really know that in 97 that you guys had a World Series championship type team? Well, I felt like going into spring training, I felt like we were going to be really good. You know, David picked up some players in the offseason. Wayne let him go out and get some players. And felt like we added some really nice pieces to that team. Spring training, I don't know if you remember, we were 26-5 and five or something in spring training. I was actually scared to death because, you know, we, we just couldn't lose a game in spring training. You know, we be behind in the seventh, eighth inning, and some kid from A ball would come up and hit a grand slam, and so it was a little scary. But I, I knew we were good. You know, it was just a matter of getting it done, and we did. One of the key parts of that season that always gets talked about it was the acquisition of Darren Dalton at the time. He comes over, talks to the team. It's almost like a speech that's in, you know, history of baseball, where everyone talks about that being one of the reasons why the team kind of made that push toward the championship. Is that something that we make too much of or is that legitimately something that kind of changed the flow of how the team was going? Well, I think media probably makes too much of team chemistry and that type of stuff, but I certainly wouldn't want to make too little of what Darren Dalton's contributions were. He was a tough, hard-nosed player. That's the way he played the game. And that's the way he expected everybody else to play the game, so he was a valuable asset. I don't know that he you know, gave some kind of rah-rah speech that gave us over the hump. He just went out and did it every day, played hard, played hurt, you know, and produced for us. So, you know, he was a soldier on the field. And uh, I don't put as much stock in the clubhouse stuff as everybody else does. Levon Hernandez was a big part of that team, too, and a big part of uh, then Florida Marlins history. Kind of remarkable to think that a player can come over uh, and have that kind of impact like he did on your squad at that time. No question about it. You know, a lot of people don't know he was a great athlete. I mean, he could play soccer, flip the ball up, kick the ball with his feet, and do all kinds of stuff. He was a great athlete, great fielder. He could swing the bat. You know, this guy was a really, a really a special guy. And uh, I think he proved that during the season and, and the World Series. You guys win the World Series. I remember going to opening day uh, with my family in 1998. There were some remnants of the 1997 team. But a lot has happened in Marlins history since then. But that was the initial first time, Jimmy, that you know, a, a, a title wasn't really defended. How did, how did you feel when that was all going on? Well, that was tough for us. That was tough for everybody, you know, because we, we had guys sign the contracts that were relatively good contracts in, in the baseball world. In today's world, they'd have been a great contract. So we were looking forward for it for a number of years. But, you know, Mr. Izinga just didn't really think that the baseball was a good business and decided to get out of it. And, you know, that was fine. I mean, he was absolutely great. He was a wonderful owner, great owner. And a great guy. So, uh, but I, I knew we were good going into spring training, and I knew what might happen at the end of the whole thing. I knew it might happen. He might decide to sell, which he did. But uh, hey, no big deal. It's all part of it. My last thing for you before this this game begins. Where do you see the Marlins now from afar? Derek Jeter takes over the team. It seems like a similar situation, at least to what the Tigers are kind of going through, building with some pitching and youth and building for the future well I haven't seen the Marlins this spring but from what everybody tells me they're much better you know they're gonna they're gonna they're in a real nasty division where they're gonna be playing teams that are probably a, a notch better than them just yet but not much and uh, so you, you know you play those guys 18 times that can hurt your record but I think the Marlins are definitely they're, they're headed in the right direction and you know with Jeter and guys like that they're gonna get it done so 
The Marlins will be bouncing back again. There's no question in my mind. What do you, uh, last thing, what do you think about Derek Jeter uh, as an owner thus, <laughs> thus far? A lot of people were surprised when he ended up taking over the team, but at this point, a lot of people from the outside feel like the direction is, is headed in the right way. Well, I don't think there's any question about it. You know, Derek Jeter's a real bright guy and a uh, very, very, very smart guy, very baseball instinctive. So, I mean, he's going to get it done. It's just, he's going to turn around. It's just a matter of how long it takes.